Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show, which is recording on the 57 years and one day anniversary of an unearthly <laughs> child going out. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this month we are talking about Alien Worlds, and I must say I'm particularly excited for this one. I love Alien Worlds. Rob, how are you? Dave, I am very well indeed. The weather is warming up, the border has come down with Victoria, it's, uh, it's happy days of late. Look, I feel very much the same way, and I'm very aware that a number of our listeners are not as fortunate as we are in Australia, but but let me say, uh, in Melbourne we've gone through what I believe, um, what the media certainly said, is the longest and toughest lockdown anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of that we have got zero new cases in Victoria, we have zero COVID cases now in Victoria, so things are opening up, life is returning to normal that's a very good thing. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And for those of us who are going through a, a harder time with this right now, particularly I know, for example, the UK and the US are you know, heading for some perhaps harder times. Uh, we hope that the next hour or so is an enjoyable distraction, but take it from us here. There is light at the end of the COVID tunnel. Yeah, and I, I wanted to say just that myself. You know, we don't say any of this to to gloat or rub people's noses in it. No, far from no. it. It's it's to point out that there is actually an end to all this, and uh, we're experiencing it now. And one day uh, you will experience it if you're not already. Yeah, yeah. But as we are here to talk about Doctor Who, which is a a fun distraction from the real world. I hope that that's what we are we are going to give you today um yes. and look look we're talking about alien worlds you know that's that's fun and imaginative and exciting and i mean surely that's the ultimate escapism <laughs> it's been a topic that's been on our list for i don't know probably about six months so it's always been sitting there looking at me like alien worlds is coming up it's coming up and here it is yeah I, i've got a few good ones up my sleeve for tonight dave i think i think we're gonna have a fun conversation but you're gonna kick us off with some news rob Yes, yes. Obviously, we'll get to the the 57th anniversary in a a little bit. But I want to start by talking about something that people know about. And that's that the new series of Doctor Who will be eight episodes long. The, The actual quote from Chris Chibnall was, Given the complexity of making Doctor Who, and with new and rigorous COVID working protocols, it's going to take us a little longer to film each episode, meaning we expect to end up with eight episodes rather than the usual 11. And by gosh, Dave, didn't this cause a flutter on social media when I jumped on there and dared to point out that presumably what he means is this is a 10-part series and it's really cut down to seven episodes and the special will make eight. People were all over me about that, like a fat kid on cake. You know, it was like, no, no, it's 11 minus three, that's eight, not seven, Rob. And I kept having to explain that the past two series have been 10 episodes each. I feel this it seems so boring for me to be repeating this, but the past two series have been 10 episodes each, Dave. And the only way you can call them 11 episodes, like Chibnall did, the usual 11, as he called it, is to add in the special. So when he says the usual 11, he's adding in the special. So the math is correct. 10 minus 3 is 7, plus the special is 8. Am I missing something here? Uh, I don't think you're missing something there, Rob. I think that's the most straightforward way to read what Chibnall said, but I think the problem here lies with Chibnall. Now, now kudos to him for <laughs> wanting to be upfront and open with information as early as he can. Yeah. I, I get that motivation, and, and, and it's the right one. The problem is, if you look at his comment, I don't think he actually knows what the final episode tally will be either. I think he's looking at a budget, and he's looking at a production period that he's got, and, and the BBC are going to be catching up on a lot of shows that weren't able to be made over the last nine months or so. So production blocks are being squeezed and budgets are being squeezed and the new, there is no new money to, to make up for it. We, we know, as we discussed in our news um, topic a month ago, that filming under COVID is more complicated and more expensive. Mm. So he's looking at his budget and saying, I think by the time we spend all of this money, we will have made eight episodes. Now, I'm not sure it will be eight episodes, and he may not even know if that's going to be seven episodes and a special later, if it's going to be they record seven episodes and a special in the one block. Is it going to be eight episodes and they're just not going to have a special? Or if they do, it'll be a new bucket of money filmed later in the year? Um, Or it could be that as they start spending this money and filming in a COVID-safe way, they do less episodes or is it possible that as the cast and crew are potentially vaccinated across filming they have a bit more money and can squeeze a another episode out there or maybe an episode will be a 
a 90 minute special or something mm. I don't think Chibnall actually knows yeah look and, and neither do the fans I, I had someone quite vehemently say no it's just 8 episodes there will not be a special and I thought well that's a very big call because again to begin with to get to the 8 figure when Chibnall is specifically saying he's losing 3 they had to start with 11 put that aside for the moment <laughs> It would be a huge thing for there not to be a Doctor Who special at the end of the year because it's been that way since the since the show came back. That that would be a huge thing if that happened. Yeah, it would be unusual and disappointing. Well, a, a first for New Who, Dave. Not just unusual, a first. Well, no, no, I, I was going to say it would be unusual for the announcement of the, there being no special to be very casually dropped uh, in that, oh, there'll just be eight, eight episodes this year. Pause. Mm. And, and, and you know, we wait for him to say, and a special, and it doesn't come. We go, oh. you know, that, that would be unusual. I think, Rob, nobody knows, including Chibnall. And for fans to say with any precision, Rob, you are wrong, um, when even Chibnall doesn't know the answer to this equation, is not the best of fandom, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, look, folks, I can only go with what the figures he's given us to work with. You know, I, I don't want to go beyond that but what you said was the the obvious plain reading of of Chibnall's comments uh Rob if yes. it is seven episodes plus a special does that mean we get the seven best of the planned episodes or does it mean we get a few too many wanky double part arc episodes and not enough fun standalones Ooh, it could go either way, couldn't it? Which is quite scary. <laughs> uh, the, the thing I've been thinking about is I've long said, oh, look, I think Jody and uh, Chibbers are a package deal of sorts. You know, he likes her, she likes him. I think when he goes, she'll go, or when she goes, he'll go. But does this sort of change things? You know, do, do they look at this year and think, oh, God, we're, we're only... Uh, COVID's buggered everything and we're only making these few episodes. Oh, we've got to come back and do a proper series after this. Does it push them forward towards doing a fourth series when they weren't really going to do one? Or does it make them think, we've sat around for a year now and now I'm making this short series and, oh, my God, I'm jack of this. I just want to do something else. Because I know that's like anathema to fans, but to jobbing actors and writers, this is just a job. And when you've been on it for like four years or whatever and only produced three series or whatever the, the equation ends up being, they might just want to jump ship after this. You are absolutely right, Rob, with the point that it is a, a, a job for them and it is their career for them. And what we also don't know is what the market in television and film and, and stage plays is going to be like at the end of this year and going into next year. Will there be a lot of productions that are suddenly bursting into into creation and, and there's lots of jobs for new writers and for actors of Jodie's talent and calibre? Or is the industry sort of slowly catching up on what it hasn't been able to make? There's a lot of contracts to honour. Uh, money isn't quite as uh, free-flowing as it was, particularly in the film industry, which is going through a massive downturn because of COVID. And suddenly doing another series of Doctor Who and having another contract and a steady income for next year looks like a pretty good outcome and a pretty pretty good uh, thing to thing to do so so much we don't know right now mm, yeah the film industry in particular is in all sorts at the moment and you've got huge budget films that you know the the, the backers the financiers want to recoup on and uh they can't unless they get sold off to i don't know amazon or, or netflix or something in the meantime and and, you know, that, oh, it, it's a mess. You know, we, yeah. we could talk all night about just this topic. Yeah, and, and release slots being pushed back, which means that new films won't be seen for years. Like, like the whole industry is in turmoil. Yeah. And how that affects our little show, it's going to be swept up in a few ebbs and tides on this one. And so uh, watch this space with an open mind more than ever, I think. Absolutely. One thing that we do seem to be getting an idea of, uh, last month we talked about the Blu-rays entering production again, mm. and we have seen, as we usually find out from some lovely little commercial online retail shop putting up an ad a little bit early, <laughs> that the next Blu-ray box set is going to be Season 8. Yes, very excited about that. I'm very excited as well. Another Pertwee is also good, still waiting for a 60s one, but I think I'll be waiting for a while, but look... The, Season 8 is for absolute classics and a miss. Um, that's a pretty good hit rate from my point of view. But there's more. 
Yes. Uh, we saw on Twitter just yesterday mm-hmm. an announcement that the Web of Fear is coming out on Blu-ray complete with an animated episode three, which yeah. means there will be new material on there. But it also means the BBC has presumably given up on the actual episode three, which Philip Morris has said is not missing, just mislaid, <laughs> turning up again. Does that how you read it, Rob? It is how I read it. They they are just going to push ahead and, and milk this cow. And if Phil ever gives it back, well, that's fine. They'll, they'll milk the cow again then. When they do the season five box set. When they... <laughs> Well, exactly right. Yeah. I like the way this was announced, Dave, because this is one of the few Troughton stories where Patrick Troughton actually filmed a special little filmed piece to camera talking to the kids at home about what was coming up in the next episode, the next episode being The Web of Fear. And this is long lost, aside from the audio, like like a lot of old Doctor Who, and they've actually made an animation for this little promotional piece which i thought was quite charming not the first time i've seen it though if you look on youtube there's one from about 12 years ago that some amateur made using some 3d software and it's i'm gonna say this it's probably actually better than the animated one (laughs) that that they dropped yesterday (laughs) because it was it was actually like 3d models and it's black and white and it's really well done find it on youtube folks but regardless it's it's a fun way to promote this i wish Troughton had maybe made more of these back in the day and we could animate a bunch of them because they, they are fun things. Yeah, and there's been um, some reports of what's going to be on there. There's going to be at least one documentary. What's been semi-announced has said there's room for a second one on there. There'll be all sorts of things. But in addition, today, a friend of the podcast, Hayden Gribble from the Diddly Dumb podcast, hmm. sent me an image of the cover of a Day of the Doctor Blu-ray. So presumably that is on its way to us as well. Oh, that's very interesting. I wonder why they're redoing that again. Either they've got some new material or they've got something to say or it's just a nice standalone to perhaps get the cash registers turning and getting a bit of a revenue flowing so they can invest it in making something else. I don't know, but, but I do recall that the Day of the Doctor was a standalone DVD back in the day. There was a Blu-ray too. I'm sure of it. It was probably before I owned a Blu-ray recorder or player. Yeah, so It was like the 50th anniversary box set. You could either get the DVD or the Blu-ray. That's why I, I was surprised when you mentioned it. I thought, well, why are they doing it again? I guess, though, it's probably six to seven years since it came out. Maybe the stock's run out or something. Uh, yeah, look, I think we'll need to wait and see if there's anything special or extra on that. But after a bit of a break, it does seem that there will be Blu-rays heading our way. Yeah, fabulous. Fabulous stuff. I love media, Dave. I love buying media, real media. You put on a shelf and it doesn't matter whether streaming services stop showing a show or, you know, it goes to a different streaming service you don't have because you just own it. It's fantastic. Yes, look, I I, I agree. I, I am, once again, a little bit wary about Web of Fear. Um, essentially, I'll be paying whatever the cost of it is, $25, $30, yeah. basically for the animated episode three which I will end up buying when I inevitably buy the Season 5 Blu-ray. So uh, I'll have to think about that one. Yeah. (laughs) Shall we move on? Please, yes. I have something that I think was absolutely charming for the the 57th anniversary. And if people get on Twitter and uh, start following Journey Into Time, so that's Journey Into Time, all one word, uh, you will find that... These folks, uh, led by Cliff Chapman, who's a follower of us on Twitter, and we follow him. He's a good, good bloke, Cliff. Um, have pulled out the uh, the script to the Peter Cushing Doctor Who radio pilot. This was something that was going to be maybe made in 1967 or thereabouts, and it never got off the ground. We'll talk about that in a moment. And they've got this script, which was which was pulled out years ago by the fellow who does the uh, Nothing at the End of the Lane uh, fanzine. And they've made this really great recording with original music and really great voice acting of the the pilot episode of this Peter Cushing radio series that was never made. Have you seen this, Dave? I have seen it around. I haven't had a chance to actually look at it myself, but I'm, I'm very, very keen because I was vaguely aware that there was a radio series mooted, but I don't know anything more than that. 
Well, I have more for you here. Um, first up, Malcolm Hulk wrote this episode. So oh, there's, wow. there's something, yeah. It was going to be a 52-part series, like a, an episodic once-a-week, you know, radio series. And the backstory was that the Cushing Doctor wasn't going to be exactly the same as the movies, but it wasn't also going to be like the TV version. It was going to be another sort of different take on the Doctor again. And basically, they'd they'd go off and explore time and space. And in, in, in many ways, it would be like the TV series, just with a different chap uh, playing the Doctor. The BBC rejected it, though. This, this is fantastic. Uh, the note of rejection, written by a chap called Martin Eslin, he was the head of sound drama in the late 60s, runs as follows. And, and Dave and, and listeners, doesn't this bloke sound like a complete wanker? I, I might even do a British accent for this. As a typical commercial production for unsophisticated listeners in Australia, ah. or even some parts of the United States, it stands up quite well. As a piece of science fiction, however, it strikes me as extremely feeble. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a wanker! <laughs> unsophisticated listeners in Australia, or even some parts of the United States. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Lovely. <laughs> oh, that's golden. Thank you for that. <laughs> No, I'm very keen to check that one out. Yeah, I, I have listened to it. It's great. Uh, even the theme music, which obviously they don't try and do the Doctor Who theme because it's copyright and all of that, but they've got a real sort of um, beat combo 60s kind of feel to the to the music. Oh, it's, it's lovely. It's the loveliest thing I saw for the anniversary, hands down, uh, this year. Fantastic. Well, the final piece of news that we have is one concerning the next episode that's coming up. And there are, well, it's not really spoilers if the BBC announces it, but I know some people don't like to uh, hear anything about an episode coming up. So if you're one of those people, I'll cover this in exactly two minutes. So forward, two minutes forward in the uh, in the <laughs> podcast and you'll miss it. Three, two, one, right, your time's up. Mm-hmm. John Barrowman is coming back for Revolution of the Daleks. He has recorded a little clip... Uh, and there is a poster out. Uh, this is something I think a lot of people speculated about because of his appearance in Fugitive of the Jadoon not paying off at the end of the last season. So they said, well, yeah. something must be coming. And it's clearly this. Uh, I like Captain Jack. I was really excited when he was back earlier this year. I'm keen for this. Rob, what about you? I love Captain Jack, so I'm completely on board with this. I, I was one of those people speculating, you know, surely they can't just bring him back for like, two minutes of you know badly dyed hair it's got to be something more than this <laughs> yes and 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 it is and that's fantastic i'm also particular <laughs> i'm gonna you're about to talk out, about dave. the poster aren't you <laughs> i am dave you know what i'm gonna talk about uh, yes. a few, few months back there were daleks spotted in spy shots these daleks looked weird they look like the junkyard dalek from resolution of the dalek except done properly so they had different dimensions and angles to a regular Dalek. And I said, look, I think these are real, Dave. And you said, no, I think they're fake. Well, they're on the bloody poster, so I think they're real. You are probably right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing I will say... Actually, no, I'll say two things. First of all, on the poster properly done graphically with all those sort of images, they look a lot better than that gorilla shot. Oh, yeah, well, they're lit up taken stuff. Up. Absolutely. So they do look better there. Uh, is it possibly still some sort of red heron? I don't know. Maybe that's a twist in the episode, but uh, it's looking, Rob, as though you may get the chocolates on that one. Yeah. And in terms of the plot, do we still think Jody's locked up in Sharda and is Captain Jack the man to bust her out? That's, that's the plot that I'm thinking of so far. That's probably the most reasonable thing to say based on what we know. We'll know... Well, we don't know when we'll know, presumably mm. next month, but I haven't seen anything to say if this is Christmas, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, or, I don't know, mid-January. They're still saying festive, so it's it's either Christmas or New Year's. It's, right, It's right. one or the other, I'm sure. Fair enough. We will know very soon. Um, a couple of quick mini-topics this month. Robin, you're kicking us off once again. Yes, I talked last time about the adventures in Lockdown Book and how I was finding it hard to get here. And almost as soon as we recorded the episode, it did drop onto Book Depository and I ordered it and it's arrived now. And I've not actually read the new stories that I want to read, like the Neil Gaiman story and the Vinay Patel story. But the book is here. I'm looking forward to flicking through it as soon as I can. I'm, I'm delighted to support children in need with, uh, with my purchase. Well, when you have read those ones, let me know if you think it's worth a read. Mm, I will do. 
Uh, a short one from me this month. Uh, I have been watching some Doctor Who, including for the anniversary, but they were all stories that I'm going to be talking about later, so I'm not going to drop which ones they were. Other than I, for absolutely no readily apparent reason, a week or so back, I popped on the Mind Robber to watch, and that is a fantastically fun story that just flows by. It's a great TARDIS crew. The first episode is just amazing. And it was the first uh, Trouton story that I ever saw, the first proper Trouton story that I ever saw when it was repeated here in 1986 with the Crotons. So fond memories. But yeah, look, that was just an example of chucking on a Doctor Who story and just sitting back and enjoying it. Yeah, and, and it was for me too, actually, the, the first Trouton I saw. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'm, I'm right with you there on that one. And one more from you, Rob. Yes, I just want to mention that uh, our primary sources podcast is is proving very popular. You you good folks out there seem to really enjoy listening to it. You've only heard two episodes so far, and both of them with Dave. Uh, we've recorded already with other other listeners from our audience, other podcasters, and we'll be dropping those once a month and uh, mixing them up. And Dave, I think you're going to interview me on one of them and give me some fanzine letters to, to think about uh, in the future. Yep, we're going to mix up that format. So uh, it'll be the two of us every second one and Rob, you and a friend of the podcast every other one. But yeah, they've been really well received. They're, they're fun and easy to churn out and we'll be doing lots more of them. Yeah, I think people like the length. We have our one second theme music, and then it starts. <laughs> and then 22 minutes later or so, it's over. One second theme music, out, you know. It's shorter than an episode of The Mind Robber. That's correct. <laughs> well, with all that, Rob, let's get into our spaceships and go and talk about Alien Worlds. Yes. Now, why are we talking about this? Well, as far as I'm concerned, particularly as a young boy growing up watching Doctor Who, there were three things that got me really excited. Monsters, spaceships. Do we need to do a spaceship episode next year, Rob? Let's ooh, think about that. Ooh, yeah. And Alien Worlds. It was those things that captured that sci-fi imagination. And what we want to talk about this month is what we think some of those best Alien Worlds were and why. Absolutely. So look, we will dive straight into that. Now, we know from our running sheet what seasons our picks are from. And we're going to go in chronological order or Mm -hmm. series order. Um, which means it's going to be me, me, you, me, you, you, me, you, <laughs> which is a completely random order. And uh, yeah, we don't know what each other's picked. We don't know why. We don't know how we've interpreted this topic. So going straight into my first pick, it's from season one. And I struggled to pick which story I would go with here because there's a lot of really inventive and creative alien worlds in the Hartnell era particularly, mm. but even particularly season one. I think Scaro is wonderfully visually represented, although it does feel like six Daleks and ten Thals inhabiting an entire planet. Uh, I think the sense sphere was a really good alien world where there's lots of really interesting ideas and the sensorites have a caste system. And uh-huh. so that was going there. The web planet, of course, Vortus is a very cool world. I know where you're going with this. I have picked Marinus. Of course you have, yes. Of course I have. Look... You know from both our Hartnell discussions and our Terra Nation discussions, I'm a big fan of both of those, and I'm a big fan of the Keys of Marinus. But this is Doctor Who's first attempt to really show us a full alien world. We arrive at Arbitan's Pyramid. We've already got alien landscapes, acid seas, glass beaches, a weird pyramid design. Uh, We've got Raymond Cusick sets, so we've got those different alien corridors. We then go to the... City of the Morphotons. We then go to the Jungle Place. We go to the Ice Tundra. We end up in the City of Millennius. This feels like a whole planet that has different landscapes. Mm. In Morphoton, you have a history. You have a setup. You have a particular form of government. In Millennius, you have another form of government. You have a fully developed justice system that the TARDIS crew get involved in. You have logos and emblems. And this just feels like an alien world that is different and well thought out. And so I've picked this as my first example of a really good world. What do you think? Oh, I absolutely agree. And it was already on my mind because if you think back to the, uh, a recent group chat we were having uh, on Facebook with the new to who guys, 
and the flight through entirety guys um i was making the point that i like keys of marinus very much as a story because like the chase they do go to all these different locations and i think that's a real strength of this planet that we do see it as more than just a few corridors in one spot you know uh, and later, I'll probably do a story that is exactly that. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Uh, but in this example, yes, they go to so many different places. It feels big, even though it's just a little BBC studio. It, it does. It feels big and it feels different. And something as simple as Susan about to bathe in what turns out to be an acid rock pool. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that just says to you, wow, we're not on Earth anymore. And that's something that's... I think really, really exciting. But look, there's, as I said, there's a lot of Hartnell stories that I could have picked out here with really good worlds. Um, less so Troughton stories. In fact, neither of us picked a Troughton or mm. a Pertwee. I came very close to putting Dolkus in there. Okay. Because although the Dominators is not a great story, there is a world there that they fly around, they go to different places and they have a government. So almost got Dolkus in there. But my next pick is from season 14. Yes. The planet doesn't have a name. Ooh, one of mine doesn't have a name, Dave. Oh, okay. Well, it's the planet that has Kaldor City on it, which is, of course, from the Robots of Death. Yes. Fantastic. Now, this is another world, and, and Chris Boucher, he did it in Doctor Who. He's done it in Blake 7. He, he's really, really good at this. Look at the way he set up Pluto, for example, in the Sunmakers, where he even has another currency, Telmars. It just makes the whole world good. But, but Kaldor City, Chris Boucher... You have there a world where you've got an entire concept of this civilization. You know about the founding 20 families and how that's led to a caste system. You know about how they use robots. They talk about different cities and they've got anecdotes about, you know, this robot that went a bit rogue and ripped somebody's arm off and all those little bits of dialogue. And then the fact that they go along and they do this sand miner thing. So it's a big experience of the planet that they go along there and you've got again different terminology the way that as a society they use robots so much for their labor that they just into the accumulation of wealth and luxury so the costuming reflects that and the set design reflects that and it feels like you're on an alien planet with history and real people and that i think is just so so effective when you consider that this is all just on board one sand miner and again a very small set yeah yeah look, it feels very much like ancient rome they're in lovely clothes laying about eating nice food and they've got slaves you know it, it's very roman to me dave yeah and something as simple as setting up the caste system being reflected in the robots with the dumbs the vox and the super vox yeah. again is just a, a layer of texture that lends you to believe that we are on a different world with different values and different civilizations. Something as simple as having corpse markers that the robots go back to a factory and there's a little sticker you put on them to show they've been deactivated. You don't need that level of detail, but suddenly these are real people with real jobs and a real world that they interact with outside of the walls of the sand miner. It's a level of detail we, we seldom get in New Who. And I know we're talking only about 45-minute episodes on the whole, so it, it is harder. But I don't think it's impossible, you know, and we still don't do it as much. It's, it's interesting, that. It, it is, although we have got some new Who picks coming up. But, uh, yeah, that was an example. Uh, we're sticking with the Tom Baker era. Rob, mm. you've got the next one. Yes, we're into the key to time uh, season where there's a lot of interesting planets, frankly. Yeah, when I, when, I, when I saw season 16, I was going, I wonder which one of these. Oh, it it's probably that one. Oh, no, it could be. Th- oh, it could uh, be that. So, so which one is it, Rob? Dave, I've picked Tara. Very good call. Tell us why. I like Tara for a few reasons. First up, it's debatable that this is an Earth colony, but there are some real similarities. So I tend to be with the fans who say that it is an Earth colony. And Mm -hmm. if it is one, it's one where the colonists have very deliberately, it would seem, chosen to have a medieval sort of feel going on. And I think it's that ability to have a choice that's really interesting. You know, because most Earth colonies, you think in Doctor Who or any TV show, really, the colonists arrive and they try and do what they can with the technology they have. 
this is much wilder. This is almost, when you think about it, if they are Earth people, Earth colonists, it's almost like they set up a theme park. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't know how realistic that sort of ability to choose is, but it makes a hell of a background. You know, are, are there other colonies out there who set themselves up like ancient Rome or the Wild West or, or whatever? <laughs> it's crazy and it's unrealistic, but it's a fun sort of thing to daydream about. And I really like daydreaming. That's my first point. The second is, I think the real strength of any alien world is how good it can look on TV. You think of something like Kinder, which is one of my favourite Davo stories, and it's absolutely let down, but only by how the world looks. And of course, the story in Kinder allows me to overlook it, but you know, how much better would Kinder look if it had some real locations? It would look incredible. So, you know, the fact that this planet just happens to look like the English countryside and just happens to have castles in it, and, oh, look, we have those locations for real and we can film at them, it makes it so pleasurable to look at this and believe in this world because what we're seeing is absolutely what it's meant to be. With some lovely glass shots to make it look just a little bit different. Yes. Yes. That too. Uh, And finally, the weapons. Uh, because this story was airing, I believe, about 12 months after Star Wars came out in the UK. And so there's a chance that the vibe from Star Wars is writ large here. I also like the way that, you know, they have crossbows that shoot lasers. That's quite cool in general. But they're for the peasants. And it's these electro swords that are for the more civilised nobility. And I think there's a real Star Wars flavour there, you know, because lightsabers were for a more civilised age and all that sort of stuff. I just think it's there, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. And and Reinhardt and Streller and Gracht all feel like they're from bigger countries and so there's a whole world out there. I agree, it looks absolutely lovely. But even some of the little details, and I think this is what's important, mm. something like the priest who comes along, they don't call him the bishop or the high priest or anything, they call him the Archimandrite. Yeah. And, and it's a silly thing, but suddenly it feels like this is an alien world because they don't have archbishops they have archimandrites and that's again that level of detail that makes you buy into the alienness but yet it's still a very familiar looking place and and again i buy into this being an earth colony that's my headcanon for this yeah i could accept it either way i I think that they they both work and and the fact we don't need an explanation you know just shows it's it's not important but it's Mm. it's fun to speculate but but rob if you'd picked ribos or zanuck or even delta magna i I would have understood that it's a really good season for alien world season 16 Uh, i was surprised you didn't pull one from season 16 honestly i was very very tempted to but for my next pick i did pick from season 18 Mm. and i I had no choice this one had to be included in there and that is triken yes now, that's not a million miles away from Tara in some ways. It's not. Um, it's it's only a couple of centuries away in terms of cultural influence. Instead of having uh, sort of 15th century knights going around swashbuckling, we have sort of 18th century characters walking around talking Shakespeare. Mm. You know, if, if only the world was a fist and stars are in my hand. and oh, <laughs> You know, it, it's, it's really quite good, but... The first thing about Traken is that it looks wonderful. Yeah. It, it is sumptuous. It is gorgeous. It looks like a lovely alien world. It, it looks like the sort of world that if the Doctor materialised in the TARDIS and said, where would you like to visit? You'd go, you know what? Let's start with Traken. That looks like a pretty wonderful place to visit. And it's achieving this with sets too. It really is. And, and you get a courtyard and a grove and, and a council chambers and, and all the rest of it. But through the dialogue, you also get an entire idea of a bigger world out there. This is a Triken Union. There are other worlds. The Keeper floats between them. Presumably there are consuls on the other planets. Mm. You talk about the source. It's got a history. It's got a system of government. Uh, it's got corruption. It's got real people who are hearing a bit of the news and starting to speculate and you know, need to be managed. Uh, it, it, it looks good and it feels, again, like a fully formed alien world. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And again, we're coming back to that that world building that is just is, is what elevates these for us. It's, it's so important. Yeah, and, and even the fact that although we only spend four episodes on Traken, it feels like we spend a lot longer because we actually have flashbacks. We go back and we see young Cassie and Cassie growing up and, and all that. So again, it feels like this is a world that exists beyond what we're seeing. There, there are everyday Traken people out there 
that actually uh, their opinion affects the way the consuls act. You know, the, the consuls are very aware of public opinion. Yeah, it feels like a real place. So three stories there from the Tom Baker era, which is pretty good. Uh, but you've got our next two, Rob. Yes. <laughs> Season 22 is where I'm going next. And again, I, I sort of did think you know what is dave going to try and guess what i've what i've picked here and and so i'd look through the the seasons to see if, what other planets were were available and I, I have no idea if you'll pick this or not because i've picked dave necros that's not where i thought you were going to go <laughs> it's not where i thought you were going to go so i'll, I'll tell you where I, what i thought afterwards but but let's start with talking about why you've picked necros okay again i have three points uh but first i guess when we think of necros we think of tranquil repose itself and the two i guess with fans sort of become almost interchangeable necros is tranquil repose tranquil repose is necros but that's only like one location on a much bigger planet but I guess with the place being called Necros, it makes it feel like one big tomb. So it sort of reinforces what Tranquil Repose is all about. It's it's cool. I like it. But my points, there is world building going on here as well. You wear blue for mourning. You know, women's legs must be covered. All of this is nice touches. And, mm. and, and some trivia here, the mourning colour was actually meant to be white. But I believe because they got all the snowy conditions which was the last time Doctor Who ever shot on film, on location, by the way. Blue would stand out more against the snow. So so suddenly the morning colour for Necros became blue. Right, okay. <laughs> and another thing I like, the concept of the story being set in what is meant to be the universe's best, and we must, I guess, presume the largest funeral home, gives a real chill up the spine. It's interesting because it looks like such a nice place. It's not some dark, storm-ravaged looking place. In many ways, it's not a million miles removed from Earth in terms of, you know, what the, the, the temperature is like and, yeah. and all of that sort of stuff and the climate. And yet the way it's being used is really quite chilling. And I like that kind of thing where the story doesn't go to cliches to, to world build all the time. You know, and of course we know there's a food processing plant there and how people didn't at least joke that food was coming from a planet of the dead is beyond me. But let's park that and get <laughs> to my third point. I think out of all my picks today, this is the one I think is most affected by my enjoyment of the story. So the location kind of gets dragged along for the ride a little as well. And I'm happy to admit that too, you know. When I think of this story, I think of Colin being super doctorish, striding along in that blue cape. I think of the location work. I think of the big carving falling on his head. I like it all, and it just gives me this nice feeling when I think of Necros, which sounds very weird to be saying out loud. No, I totally see where you're coming from there. There is a sense of interacting with a bigger world. There is a sense that it takes time to get from one place to another. The people feel real again. There's there's corruption. There there's there's attitudes like that. But can, can I perhaps just pull back for a moment, Rob? Yeah. When you said that you were doing one from season twenty two, I generally had this as third on my list because I also had Carful, which has an, a history and has a system of government. Um, yeah. There's there's references to the hospitals and the power and all the rest of that. And I also thought about Varos, which again. There's a history of this colony, how it devolved uh. a system of government. And I think that one thing that Philip Martin has said, and I won't talk about him too much, but but he said that Eric Saywood said that it was an Eric Saywood policy that if you had an alien world, you had to have a full alien world with a history and with a system of government. So although Eric Saywood you know, cops a lot of flack in fandom and sometimes justifiably, Let's give him credit, because as we go through the, like, the real Eric Saywood era here, season 22, you look back at uh, Androzani Major and Minor and San in season 21, Eric Saywood, he knew how to do an alien world. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there, there are fans out there who won't give him a break on anything, and I, I, I find that ridiculous. I, I think we should applaud him on this, because I, I do remember that quote myself, and as we've been talking about in, in each and every one of these, world building is very important. Build the world and, you know, it'll make a lot more sense, be feel more real. And that is very much a Sayward thing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, Necros, yeah, very, very interesting choice. And mm. your next pick is another Colin Baker, I believe. It is another Colin Baker from season 23. And uh, <laughs> Dave. Yes. 
It's Ravelox. Interesting. I know the listeners. Yeah, look, I know the listeners are probably thinking I'm just being weird at this moment, but just hear me out. I've got three points again. Point number one is it's Earth, (laughs) you know, albeit an obliterated Earth, but like, I guess the Sontaran experiment, it's really cool when you're a kid, and I was a kid when this came out, to think of a civilization that's all been wiped out and how a world might get reset and everything just wiped off the face of the Earth. I used to love that sort of thing. You know, there were video games I'd play and the artwork would be, you know, all shattered cities and stuff like this. There's a reason why apocalypse and dystopian dramas are very in fashion no matter what decade you're in. Mm, Exactly right. And I I was all over this as a kid. I still like it as an adult. Yeah. Um, You know, the the way there are underground things that have survived, you know, they get into Marble Arch and all of that. You, you, You wonder what else has survived, what else is out there. You almost want to go out there and explore it yourself. It gets your mind going. You know, I love this sort of stuff. So that leads me on to point number two, which is the backstory I think is neat. Earth being shifted, what is it, two light years or something by the Time Lords. Um, killing basically everyone on the planet, almost, you know, and renaming it Ravelox. This is a big concept in terms of, you know, what is supposed to have happened to the Earth, you know, and what sort of tribes might form out of who's left. And, you know, of course, it's one of only several futures we've seen for the Earth in the far future. So it's it's a bit crueled by other stories that do their own thing when it comes to, you know, what's the what's the future of the Earth. But this particular future of the Earth, I thought, was fascinating. You know, the, the way the Time Lords could be so corrupt and, and, and basically genocidal against uh, humans. And, and finally, this, this point, of course, really gets to have its cake and eat it too. It's an alien world, but it's also Earth. <laughs> and I thought yep. that was kind of a fun thing. Uh, you know, and of course, again, the beauty of setting anything on Earth is you don't have to do anything wacky and make dozens of purple you know plastic plants or color the sky or whatever you know they can just show a forest that is blatantly on earth of course it's on earth you know it's a great cheat uh and i immediately believe in the world because it's real uh it seems silly to even point that out but you know there it is no it's a really good pick it obviously looks very very good it's filmed in a really lovely way but again you're right the level of detail you go through the theology of the tribe of the free the language that they use the fact that women have multiple husbands because that's the way the society has to survive uh, the way that water is rationed down in the underground world for example yeah it's really good and, and i know mysterious planet is sometimes the least liked story out of trial of a time lord for many people but the ideas in it i think are very very good yeah, and look, it once again is Robert Holmes, who is very, very good at, with a few flourishes, creating an alien world, a different currency, a different cuisine, all those little things that he puts in. Um, but again, you could just have easily have picked Thoros Peter, which again, mm. looks lovely, has an entire system of government and a history. And what's really coming out is that this Sayward Colin Baker era, really good for alien worlds. It's very good, actually. Indeed, I was thinking about it, and even though we never visit Mogar in the Terror of the Vervoids, we probably know more about Mogar's history and its economics than we do about half a dozen planets we actually do visit in the series. (laughs) I think you might be right. (laughs) So that takes us through to the new series, and we've each got a pick from the new series. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I have no idea what you've picked, and I don't know if you've got a suspicion about mine. Um, But I went with something from Series 4, and I have picked the planet Midnight. Ah, yeah. Again, a couple of reasons for this. Number one, perhaps more than any, the visuals. It looks stunning. Absolutely stunning. And that goes a long way to making you, again, want to visit this planet. But beyond that, There's all the little detail that's set up in this. What sort of planet it is. Why people come here. The way the sunlight works differently. Then you have to go off and explore this planet. And it's not this sense of, you know, an entire planet where you can basically walk from one side to the other in five minutes. Because that's as much as we see. The Doctor has to spend hours in a transport going around to see more of Mm. this planet. And so it feels like somewhere that you would visit. And then to throw it on top of it the mysterious alien creature that we never fully learn about, we never fully 
understand. No. But that just, again, makes it feel like there's a bit of danger out here and there's a sense of unknown out here. So as a viewer, you feel like you are exploring a real alien world that is both gorgeous and stunning, but dangerous and scary. And, and so it makes you feel like you're exploring Africa or you're exploring Antarctica or you're exploring an actual alien world. And I just thought I couldn't go beyond this story and this planet. And compare it to what was that Whitaker story from the last series where they, they jumped into a truck and they were pissing about uh, with some aliens chasing. What God, what was that called? Yeah, that one. Um, the one with Benny Benny. Um, yeah, <laughs> Benny. Yeah, um, yeah, I that one. That. I can't remember the title. That's terrible. <laughs> I mean, compare the vibe. I mean, you, you you're out there in a truck being menaced by monsters, but just compare the vibe between the two. It's chalk and cheese. It, it, it is, and um, I, I just think it's so well done. And the, the the planet becomes a character, and that's really really good. Absolutely. Which I guess just leaves my final pick day, which is from series seven. And I'll, I'll draw this out a bit because you were you were talking about, you know, a world feeling genuinely scary and, um, you know, and, and different. And, and I think this world that I've picked, and this is the world that doesn't have a name, is genuinely scary. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm hoping listeners, I, I know you're probably trying to think of what it is, and I hope listeners are out there listening in their cars or, you know, whatever, trying to guess what it is. Because when I hit on this one, I thought, oh, yeah, I've got to talk about this one. Because, Dave, for my final pick, A Planet Without a Name, from Series 7, it's the Dalek Asylum, from Asylum of the Daleks. Interesting. Mm, how about that? I would never have guessed that one, so that's very cool. Uh, please tell us. Conceptually, I find this joint really interesting, because you'd think the Daleks would be very unsentimental about, you know, mentally ill comrades. Like, oh, he's broken, you know, exterminate him. But no, they think being hateful is beautiful and they want to preserve it and they want to preserve all this craziness. And this, this planet is set up where they, where they send all these Daleks and they've surrounded it with nanogenes. So anyone who lands on the planet essentially gets turned into a, uh, well, if you're a human, you become a human Dalek or if you're an alien, you become whatever your species is, that kind of Dalek. And you essentially become extra security for the planet. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow visually it's very cool to look at because while the episode is all set underground outside it's all snow and mountain ranges and they do some location filming in in genuine like mountainous snowy locations it looks really good it looks yeah it looks great my second point is it's also an example of something that's been set up with the best of intentions but which has gone bad. And you see this in all sorts of fictions. And here the Daleks realise they have to destroy it in the end. They've, they've set it up to, you know, preserve all these crazy Daleks and preserve the madness and all this. But even they realise, you know, it's it's a big, dark, scary place, not just to us, but to them as well. They're, they're too scared to go down there, which is why they send the Doctor down there. And certainly when you're in the depths of this place, and this comes back to the, the fear factor, there is definitely a fear factor here. Uh, you know, as Matt Smith's creeping around and, and Rory's creeping around and he's, you know, tapping Daleks that seem to be inert and then they, they wake up. Or when Matt Smith has to go through what does um, the, the Clara character, Oswin she's called in this one, but I call her Clara, she says you've got to go through the um, intensive care, which are ostensibly all the Daleks that he's dealt with personally in the past and they're the real crazy ones and he's got to sneak through there. It's really actually scary. It's really cool. You know, for a New Who story, not many New Who stories are scary to me. This one feels scary because they are having to creep around. They are surrounded by so many Daleks. It's great. And finally, the story begins on Scaro and it's a ruined Scaro. You know, it's not the Scaro Sylvester McCoy blew up which was presumably a functional Scaro, so I'm not exactly sure how it exists to be ruined before McCoy blew it up, but again, this is one of these times where we'll just park that idea and just have as my third point a big shout-out that the ruins of Scaro are at the very start of this story, and it's a bit of a cheat for me to be mentioning it, but it is in the story, and it does look really cool, and uh, that's my take on Asylum of the Daleks. No, that's very interesting. Look, I don't have anything to add to that, but it is a very different pick... And again, just shows that 
level of diversity and imagination that when writers and production teams really decide to go somewhere different and put lots of effort into creating a world, um, it, it just pays off. It pays mm. off so, so well. Yeah. Now, Rob, they're our picks. Yes. Um, but before we recorded, just an hour ago, I put out a tweet just asking if anybody had a favourite Alien world. We've had two replies. Is that right? It is. So I'll just... Is one of them mine? No, no, that, that's, no, no. Two replies apart from yours. Oh, so we had three replies in an hour. That's very good. We did. The guys at 42 to Doomsday, hi, Mark and Rob, uh, they said Xeros. They have a museum, a space museum. <laughs> very good. And, and look, I, I know they're probably teasing a little bit, but again, both the Xerons and the uh, alien race, were they the Morrocks? I think they are something like that. Mm. That they again are both quite actually well established alien races, and yeah. one that we did mention, Tim Archer says it's got to be Carfil or whatever planet the Bandrels are from. <laughs> Very good, Tim. <laughs> uh, so thanks to those for replying, and if listeners, you have other nominations you'd like to tweet us about or write to us about, we'd love to hear it. But Rob, as I was going through the list of Doctor Who stories to pick my four, yeah, I actually pulled out two that I think prove the points we're making by being terrible in the opposite direction. Ooh, tell me more. So the two planets that I've picked are the planet of the Gons from the Crotons yeah, and Lucertia yeah. from Time and the Rain. <laughs> yep. The problem with both of them is that there is no sense that this is a real planet. No. In, in the case of the Gons, it's six people, a learning hall, and that's about it. They all live in one little village. There's no sense that there's anything else out there. Uh, at least in State of Decay, where there's one village on the planet, it's because that's where a colony ship crashed. Yeah. The Gons apparently just all evolved in one spot. <laughs> and Lucretia's the same thing. You, you have this indolent, lizard-like alien race that apparently evolved in a planet of quarries. Um, other than a centre of leisure... <laughs> They have nothing. There's no sense of a government or an economy. Baos is their leader just because the script says he is. There's there's seven Lacertians. It never feels like there's a planet out there of Lacertians in the way that something as simple as the Sensphere feels like. In the way that something like Pluto feels like, even though we only see a little bit of Pluto, we know there are six Megropolises and they all have their own sun and they all have a gatherer and they all pay taxes. Yeah, there's none of that. So... I think that there are some very bad planets out there and, and neither of those two visually looks very good either. No. Um, and Time and the Rani? Notable. It's the first story without Eric Sayward. Good point. Good point. <laughs> and it's indeed true that Andrew Carmel basically doesn't go to alien worlds very, very much. And when he does, they're, they're not really worlds, they're concepts. Um, Paradise Towers is a concept the well, 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 Dragonfire. It's it's both a freezer center and a spaceship. It's not a planet, um, but it is called Ice World, Dave. He put world in the name. That's true, and, and that should and, be good enough. Yeah, but there is a planet Svartos. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think Andrew Cartmore wants to go in a very different direction, and that works as well. But um, look, we've picked some really good planets. It would have been easy to pick twice as many, but that's where we've gone. And I'm glad we didn't pick some of the obvious ones. Like, I mean, I mentioned Scaro, but I didn't pick it. And we didn't go to Mondas and we didn't go to, you know, some other Gallifrey. places. Gallifrey, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think Dave, we did go across a few common themes too here, that, that world building is important. Uh, for me, certainly, the, the look of planets is important. And if you can, you know, get away with using Earth locations that are somehow you know, extremely suitable for an alien planet, it, it does make all the difference. At the same time, you picked Keys of Marinus, which is set in a, you know, studio, but looks, you know, looks fantastic for the era. So, you know, it's, it's not always a hard and fast rule either. Yeah, look, it's worth mentioning that three of my shortlists for my Hartnell pick were all designed by Raymond Cusack. Yeah, well, he's a great designer. <laughs> I think there are some definite themes that came through there. There's some good worlds. And yeah, once again, listeners, if you have comments, let us know. Absolutely. So Dave, we're into the uh, the outro already, the episode. This one has absolutely flown by, I think. It has, it has. But yeah. you've got something to talk about, Rob. I do. I do. I do want to talk about this because um, we're recording this, obviously, on the 24th of November. And back on October the 21st, so just over a month ago now, I lost my cat, uh, Graham. 
he was uh, 20 years old, which uh, people would often hear and go, oh, isn't that lovely? What a lovely age for a cat to reach. You know, what a good old boy. But something they wouldn't always put together is that when a cat's 20 years old, he was in my life for 20 years. I got him when I was 25 and I'm 45 now. And it's just a stupid amount of living that's happened in that length of time. And he was around for all of it. So he was a very special, you know, companion for me. And he would have been if he'd only lived to be six months old, you know. But you know what I mean? When something's around for 20 years, it, it means a lot. And anyway, we'd already recorded our previous monthly episode when this had happened. We'd already made a bunch of primary sources. So although this happened over a month ago, and we've put several things out, people have never actually heard from me talking about it post-event. So... It may even be news to some people out there because I didn't make a big deal out of it in a lot of public um, social media. Some people know, but mostly it was my private Facebook and things like that where people knew. And I just want to say thank you to uh, to everyone who wrote to me, you know, publicly, privately, all of that stuff. It was really nice, you know. It was it was a horrible situation, but I felt very supported by people. And, and a lot of you do listen to this show, so I wanted to thank you uh, with, with my voice, so to speak. No, look, thank you for sharing that with us, Robin. Obviously, we're all very sad about that. Uh, you and I are both cat people, mm. and um, it, it feels at times like both uh, Graham and my cat, Juliet, have been part of the Doctor Who show because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's rare that we're getting set up and there isn't a one of us doing something with the cat. You know, are you in or you're out? Are we being looked after? And occasionally we have to edit them out of the recording. Yes. <laughs> um, um, but there, there are some, definitely some uh, 42 to Doomsdays we've recorded live that you can hear Juliet in the background of. Um, but no, look, Graham, Graham's obviously a big part of your life and a big part of what we all do. And yes. yeah, that's that's really sad news. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Moving, moving topics. Uh, we have an email here and the subject line here, Rob, is yes. damn it, I'm in. Ooh, Okay. So let's see what this is about. Yes. Hello, Doctor Who show team. I live in Melbourne. Oh, that's a good start. <laughs> I live in Melbourne and Doctor Who is my favourite show, even better start. But I have been living the wilderness years as I haven't come across a Doctor Who podcast I enjoyed since the Doctor Who podcast team wrapped up in 2015. So I have found other podcasts which I enjoy and they take up time. One of my favourites being Star Wars Minute. Yes, a podcast that reviews every Star Wars movie by every minute. They take a break every eight months or so for a few weeks before starting the next Star Wars movie. And although I listen to five other podcasts, the Star Wars Minute gap has left me time during my walks, especially during lockdown. And can I just jump in and say I've listened to Star Wars Minute myself. It's quite good. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I might have to yeah, check one of a, those out. It's a good concept. So I came across yours, basically due to the picture of the cut and paste layout, similar to a David Bowie podcast, Ooh. on my search engine, and I thought I would give it a go, not even knowing it was an Aussie version. I am from New Zealand, but have lived here since the 90s, so my childhood Doctor Who was back in Kiwiland, but it seems the same parallel upbringing to what was shown when. I think that's right, you know. Like, I you think know, it's, yeah, yeah, very, very talking much Talking to so. Kiwi fans as we were growing up, they did sort of have a similar similar upbringing to us. Yeah, very, very much so. And very similar television. Yeah. I love your show. First episode I tried were your deep dive into season 22. And I have listened to heaps now. And although I am trying to avoid subscribing to a new podcast, I have relented as you do a great <laughs> job. And I have hit subscribe. There are two things, themes you say that I disagree with so much so that I'm not going to tell you what they are as you will probably give your opinions again but, <laughs> okay but other than that I feel very in sync with your well-rounded views um, I'll just pause there and say that's actually great I think I think that when you kind of get the vibe of a podcast but don't disagree with everything and there are times you're shouting at the, the radio speakers going you are wrong about that you know, they're, they're the best ones <laughs> I'm curious what these things are. Is is it my love of Davo? Uh, is it is it our uh, ambivalence to Moffat? I don't know. Or Chibnall. Or Chibnall. I don't know. It would be very interesting <laughs> to find out. Uh, yeah. But keep up the good work. Signed, JT. P.S. A theme you could go with, which I found interesting, is Virgin Doctor Who, i.e. what story per Doctor would you show to a person who has never seen the show? I have done this a few times with various degrees of success and failure. 
Oh, I like that. I like that. We may have to drop that down on our list of possible topics, uh, along with cool spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, 2021 <laughs> is filling up already, it seems. <laughs> because there's, it is. there's two, and we're going to do a couple of seasons, or maybe three seasons at least. So there's five. Oh, my God. Half the year's gone, Dave. It has. Look, thank you, JT, for writing that in. Um, I don't think we want to pat ourselves on the back too hard, because you've just done that for us so uh i think i'll just say thank you for the very positive feedback and glad you're a listener yeah thank you very much and as i wrote back in my or at least i hope i wrote back in my reply i always love and people say i'm a broken record on this i always love when we hear from new people you know we love our ongoing fans who write to us regularly and 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 such and who we talk to almost every day on on twitter or whatever you know the millie mckenzie's of this world for example hi millie but when we hear from new people, it's just reinforcing to us that there is this much bigger number of people out there listening, and we'd love to hear from all of you over time, honestly, you know, and hear what all of you have to say. No, it is wonderful to know that we're not just talking to a void and people are enjoying us. But as I say, enough of that. Um, thank you, JT, for the comments. Thank you. So we're going to wrap up, Rob, but just quickly, anything interesting you've been watching over the last month? Yeah, two things, Dave. I'm on the tail end of the Jeremy Brett series of Sherlock Holmes. Um, there are 42 in total, so I think I must be into the mid-30s by now. I've probably got like, I don't know, six or seven left. Not many to go. Uh, and I'm really still enjoying that. I also, and this will be interesting to Doctor Who fans in Australia in the 80s, I think, I've also just watched the modern series of the anime space battleship Yamato. Oh, is that any good? It's fantastic. I'm about to tell you about it. Oh, okay, because <laughs> the the um the old 1970s space battleship Yamato was dubbed into English and some people might remember it was renamed as Star Blazers and you know this was a staple on afternoons on the ABC so as I say some 80s Doctor Who fans from Australia might might know it well. The new series is lovely. It's highly reverent to the old series including it's got to be the exact same musical score and you know how music can be very evocative yes there there are so many themes and there are so many little tunes that are just burned into my memory and this has them note perfect they're they're exactly the same and so it was just amazing just from a musical point of view but there are also some storylines and concepts and a few new characters particularly women i think they're trying to sort of pad out the it was it was a very male cast with i think one woman in the original now there are many women it's, it's more of a you know gender diverse sort of crew it's great it, it it's about as good as a reboot could be I can't say enough good things about it, actually. I really enjoyed it. And there's another series after it. So this was Space Battleship Yamato 20, 2199, and now I think there's a Space Battleship Yamato 2202. So there's another 26 episodes for me to hunt down. I'm very excited about that. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, most of the stuff I've been watching has been online. Um, I've been continuing sort of on and off my Joss Whedon uh, rewatch, and I've, I've reached the end almost of season three of Buffy. But a couple of new shows I've been watching, uh, I've seen season one now of The Right Stuff, which is a series about uh, the United States' exploration of space. Um, so this one goes up to about 1963, 64, I think, and there are more seasons to come. That that hasn't been too bad. It's a little dry and a little slow in a couple of places, but it, it starts off and ends off very well, so that's good. Uh, I have watched season four of The Crown, which I thought as a work of drama was better than the last season, but as a work of history was by far the weakest of the four seasons. Mm, I've been hearing that about it, actually. Yeah, uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and dwell on all the mistakes and errors and bizarre characterizations. Um, there just were many, and, and that's a shame, I think, when you look at what it was doing back in the early series, but, but very watchable and very enjoyable. And, of course, I have been watching The Mandalorian Season 2, um, but I'm not going to say anything about that because I think we're both keen to do a review of that at the end of the year. Absolutely, and if new listeners don't know, we did a Mandalorian Season 1 alternate um, Galaxies, uh, when was that, January of this year. So you can look that up if you've, if you've only just come onto The Mandalorian now and you want to see what we thought about the first season, uh, have at it. Yeah, and we'll come back to talk about the second season when we have all digested it. Um, yes. So yeah, a few things I've been watching there. Fantastic. Well, Dave, this was our November episode. What are we doing in December? 
So in December, we have our Christmas episode. Um, now, we will be reviewing Revolution of the Daleks whenever it is aired, um, but I assume that's going to come out in January, not December. Mm-hmm. Um, so for our December episode, we are going to do stories where the fan reaction surprised you, for better or worse. So here, we would like a lot of listener feedback, please. We're talking about a story that you watched go out. Um, Probably most of them will be new Who, although maybe for some of the audience it will be old Who as well. But a story that you watched it go out and you've thought, that was really good. Got online, listened to podcasts, and everybody else hated it. And you've gone, did I watch the same thing? Or alternatively, something you've watched and gone, that was utterly dreadful. Suddenly you turn on the internet and... There's just an outpouring of love, and you're like, what did I miss? Yes, and do I need new friends? Yeah, that's right. So (laughs) those stories that you you just thought your view was just so out of sync with fandom, uh, we will certainly have our picks, but we would love to have some of your picks as well to make it a nice, warm family Christmas episode with all of our Doctor Who show family. Yeah, that that's going to be a lot of fun, and I'll get out there on the socials uh, and and uh, spruik for some opinions there as well. So um, send them in, folks. We'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, of course, we will have another primary sources in about two weeks' time with our first uh, guest. Shall I exclusively reveal who it is? Oh, I think they should be a surprise. Okay, we'll leave it a surprise. It's not okay. Dave. I can say that. No, now. no, we're not a guest. I'm not a guest. <laughs> So look, that was our chat about Alien Worlds. I hope you've enjoyed exploring the galaxy with us. But until our fan reaction discussion in December, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we'll speak again soon. We will. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.